Today we're going to talk about breakthrough and it being the promise, because it's the year of promise, right, for new life? Yeah. And it being the promise of persistent prayer. So when we first moved back here, I don't know when that was, it was a long time ago, like 04 maybe, we moved back here and then we started... Well, I guess we, I don't know if we started it, because there's always kind of been a Friday night prayer thing off and on throughout all that, but Lena and I started doing a prayer meeting every Friday night for what seemed like forever. I don't know, it was probably like six years, maybe. And we'd bring like, because we had, our kids weren't able to walk then, so we'd bring these like those pack-and-play things, you know? We'd bring those, we'd set them up in the back, and then we'd just worship and pray and stuff here on Friday nights. And uh, I'm under the impression that those Friday nights are, we're seeing the results now of the things that we prayed for. We prayed for, you know, I'm going to say we're scratching the surface of the things we prayed for. How about that? Because it's not the fullness of what I have asked for and what we asked for as a church. But it's pretty close. It's pretty close. We're getting there. So just the idea of prayer. Because I kind of lost, I guess, I, I was the super prayer guy. I would come here, i get off work at midnight, and I would come over here and just sit here and pray by myself for like an hour or two until like 2 in the morning, and then I'd go go sleep at home, get up with the family, and then I'd go to work and I'd come back and do it again. I was really super persistent about it. I was really like just adamant that I would pray constantly, always praying, always praying. And then I kind of, I don't know, you know, things change, I suppose. Life happens, things shift. And uh, I kind of, I, I never lost my... Um, the constants of my prayer, I guess. I always pray. It is who I've been built to be. It's kind of my thing, I guess. But I just lost my persistence, I guess. I lost my my aggravation, my, my fight against hell and fight for the kingdom. And so I just wanted to... Recently, I've been thinking about regaining that and... Um, just starting to push against the things that I've pushed against for a long time and taking on my role, my role as a gatekeeper, my role as a, 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 a watchman, I guess. And I kind of feel like new life is the watchman for our city. We sit out here on our wall, maybe unnoticed, maybe not a lot of people see us, but we've put in a lot of work and a lot of time walking the walls of this city and I'm proud of that, and I think it's awesome. So I just wanted to talk about the idea of breakthrough, because I believe we're on the precipice of that breakthrough that, breakthrough that we've been praying for here at New Life for a long time. So yeah, let's do it. So to start off, we're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 5. I think I'm doing this one in the New Living Translation today. It'll pop up here in just a second, though. This is such a cool story. Wait till you see it. It's neat. All right. 
So it says, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him because this is the guy they're scared of, right? This is the guy who killed Goliath. So he gets anointed king and they get ready to go get the guy. But David was told they were coming, so he went into the stronghold and the Philistines arrived and spread out across the valley of Rephaim. This is the good part. So David asked the Lord, should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied to David, yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. So David went to Baal Perazim and defeated the Philistines there. The Lord did it, David exclaimed. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he named that place Baal Perazim, which means the Lord who bursts through, means the possessor of breaches, the breaker, the Lord who bursts through like a, like a, like a wall that's dammed, that's been blocked, and, and that's the idea behind it. Because remember, Hebrew has all these meaning, like it has more purpose behind it than just the word. So the idea of that word when he's saying Baal Perizim means that uh, a raging water breaking through a dam. That's what the Lord did. He said the Philistines had abandoned their idols there, so David and his men confiscated them. I just want to show you something. Prayer plus action equals breakthrough, right? So David says, do I go? God says, yep, breakthrough. It's so simple. It's so simple that simple prayers, when we pray in the will of the Father, when we pray in the will of the Lord, they become victory. But I just wanted to show you something that was kind of cool. I saw in this when I was reading it because you probably didn't notice it. I'm going to read it again. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming, so he went into the stronghold. And the Philistines arrived and spread out across the valley of Rephaim. Right? So David asked the Lord, should I go out? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied to David, yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. So David went to Baal Perazim. Right back here, hold on, let me show you. Valley of Rephaim, Baal Perazim, right? Before he went and defeated them, the name was changed. Because, see, God said it, so it was already done. So in the text, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Maybe I'm reading into it, maybe I'm overthinking it, I don't care. But the name changed before he went and defeated them says that he went there. It was the Valley of Rephaim, which means the house of the giant. The house of the giants. That's what it means. But then it came. It became the place where the Lord breaks through. Because he loves us. And because when we ask him questions and he answers us and he tells us to go, we can go and he's going to do what he says. That's it. The power of persistent prayer always results in breakthrough. And that actually happens before because it's the will of the Father. Do you see, when all this stuff that we read about in the Bible, it's already there. It's already happened in his mind. So when he says that you can be healed, that's already done. It's already complete. So all we got to do is believe. And it's some of those things, I don't know how to answer all the questions of the universe, right? Because then there's all these things. But I do know that it comes to persistence. I do know that it, I believe it comes down to persistence. 
But I just thought it was so cool that the breakthrough actually happened before anyone ever set foot on the battlefield. Because when David, the, 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 the victory happened when David said, can I go? Because if David had just gone, probably a different story, right? Because we know what happens when David does things on his own, right? We've all read the Bible. When David does stuff on his own, stuff goes wrong. It goes all goofy. And I was just thinking, like, this is how prayer works. We pray the will of the Father. He answers, and when he answers, it's already finished, right? I just thought it was so cool that the name of the valley was changed. And so the idea of persistent prayer becoming breakthrough, because, see, that wasn't the first time that David asked, G, or asked God something. He, he asked them there's several times throughout. When you read throughout here, there's many times throughout there where he goes, should I go? Actually, in a couple of verses after this one, they all come flooding back in. They try to take him again. The Philistines come back, and then, the Lord, and then David says, well, should I go? And God says, yeah, you should go, but don't go the way you went last time. This time I want you to come from over here. And when he comes from over there and does what the Lord says, boom. So do you see, it's, it comes from persistent prayer. It's not just, the, you know, a lot of times what we do is we'll just simply ask for something and then be done with it. Well, you know, that, that's it. I'm, I'm done. There it is. But this comes through relationships. So when I talk about persistent prayer, I'm talking about a relationship with the Father. Not this work-striving persistence, but I mean like persistent and continuously praying, continuously being there. Because guess what? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians to never stop praying. Keeps it very simple. And then you think to yourself, well, I, how can I pray constantly? I'm sleeping, and I have to work, and I have to do all this other stuff. And I really thought this was cool. The Smith Wigglesworth was a dude that would walk around and had a very deep relationship with the Lord. And he would do crazy things to heal people. He would, like, punch tumors out of bodies and crazy stuff. But this is what he says. He says, I never pray more than 20 minutes at a time, but I never go more than 20 minutes without praying. That's what I mean by persistent prayer. Constantly thinking about the relationship that you're in. We're in a relationship with Jesus. We're in a relationship with the Father. And like, I think about like when I'm at work, all I can think about is coming home to be with my family, to be with my kids, to be with my wife. Like, that's all I'm thinking about. And it's the same thing. But we forget that it's like, you know, maybe we don't forget that he's there. But we forget that we're in relationship with him, you know? We kind of we lose sight of that, so we just kind of go on about our life without, without thinking, man, I can't wait to get back to him. Like that 20 minutes for Smith Wigglesworth that passes by. I can't wait to get back to him. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pray for more than 20 minutes, but I'm not going to let 20 minutes go by without thinking about you. This is what I want to encourage us in. Because even Jesus prayed constantly. All the time. He's always going up on the mountains. He prayed when he chose the disciples. He prayed when he was in the garden, when he was getting ready to get crucified. He even prayed on the cross. Prayed for you and me on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's prayer. And that comes because he was persistent in his relationship with the Father. It comes through constant thinking, constantly considering what's happening around us with the Father, considering trying to stay on top of the game. I just thought it was really interesting, like with Jesus, if you think about those different things, he's getting ready to make like a, um, an analytical decision or a management decision by choosing his disciples, 
right? So it's that's business, sort of. If you think about it, it's it's a business that business decision, or or he's going to be alone. You know that that'd be like a, you know a husband and wife going out on a date. I'm gonna go be alone with the father right now. You know, um, uh, he, when he was praying in a garden, he was praying a need. There's all these different aspects, and they're all Jesus showing us how to do this thing, right? It's always him to, to use as the example. And that's kind of what leads us. So that, that concept that every moment, good or bad, became a part of Jesus' prayer life, and that lifestyle strengthened him to do what God called him to do. Like, that's what strengthened him. So a lot of times the things that we know that we're called to do are the things, um, excuse me, the things that... that those visions or those dreams that we have in our own lives, a lot of times those things, they get kind of left out there. Like I have a lot of things in mind, a lot of things in my life that kind of have fallen to the side, done whatever, because of I just lost focus of them, right? And that can happen with, the relation, with our relationship with the Lord. So just the idea that every moment, good or bad, became a part of his prayer life and the lifestyle strengthened him to do what God has called him to do, that's the idea. That's the idea of that breakthrough is the promise of persistent prayer. Because, see, he got breakthrough in all those things. All those things. I mean, he, he, chose, he chose 12 winners, one that failed. But I'm willing to bet there was no mistake made there, Right? Jesus didn't say oops when he chose Judas. It wasn't my bad. It just happened. That was the will of the Father. So when he prayed, I guarantee he heard that name from the Father. This is the guy. This is the guy I want to be in your group. This is good stuff. Breakthrough is the promise of persistent prayer. So I want to show you something. Turn to Matthew 17, 20. So the guy brings his son who's possessed and he's like throws himself into fits and he does all this stuff. And the guy brings his son to the disciples and the disciples try to cast out the demon they try to go and do what do do what jesus does right they try to do what he says and they're like going to do the thing and it doesn't come out they don't they can't figure it out why doesn't it come out i don't understand what happens and and then and then jesus shows up and he says uh and he does it he throws it out you know the guy there's a whole couple versions of it the mark version is the one where the father's saying i believe but help my unbelief you know this is the Matthew version because I like this one for what I was talking about. But after all that happens, the disciples, they ask Jesus, like, what happened, man? Like, we did what you told us to do. We did exactly what you always say. But it didn't work. And Jesus says, he told, it's, he says, he told them, it was because of your lack of faith. I promise you, if you have faith inside of you no bigger than the size of a small mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move away from here and go over there, and you will see it move. There is nothing you couldn't do. Nothing you couldn't do. I get, I get worked up when I think about this stuff, because a lot of times you hear, well, you know, it doesn't really mean you could move a mountain. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, if God who is who he says he is. Yeah, I don't know. That's just me philosophizing. 
It's that whole mustard seed thing, right? Look at that little guy. I say that whole mustard seed thing because every one of you has heard this before, right? Every one of you has heard that whole mustard seed thing. So you're thinking, okay, here we go. Here's the mustard seed story. If I don't have my faith's not big enough, I'm useless. That's because that's what I do when people tell me this one. <laughs> when I can't move the mountain. When I tell the mountain to move and it doesn't move, I'm like, well, I guess I don't have the faith of a mustard seed. You know? And so I th- we probably all do, unless I'm just weak, which is possible. But I was thinking about this most of the time. I think I heard somebody. Somebody. I don't remember who it was. I listened to too many people. Most of the time, I think we think, we think when Jesus was talking about the size of the mustard seed, I think we, we think we need to have this big, this big faith. Like, I should be carrying like a boulder of faith. Like, well, all I need is a mustard seed, but that's, you know, that's just to move mountains. <laughs> I got other stuff in my way, right? So you think we got to carry these boulders of faith around. And I'm trying to think about it this way, because then the next thing that Jesus says to him, the next thing after they go, what happened? And he says, you could have moved mountains if you would just have faith. The next thing he says to them, but this kind of demon or this powerful spirit, as one of the translations says, is cast out only through prayer and fasting. Only through prayer and fasting. That's curious to me because Jesus didn't step up there and they said, oh, we can't get this demon out. We can't get this thing out. So what's going on? What do we do? Well, Jesus wasn't like, hold on just a second. I'll be back in three days because I've got to go on a three-day fast and I have to pray. That didn't happen. He said, get out, and it was gone. So that means that the prayer and fasting that he was doing, building up to that moment, do you see? Persistent, constant prayer. That's what he's talking about. When he's talking about the mustard seed, it's not like, well, at least this is how I'm seeing it for today. That mustard seed doesn't necessarily mean that I have to have big faith. It means that I have to have persistent faith. It means that I have to have a faith that prays and fasts constantly so that when I do step into these situations, when I do come into these scenarios, I'm ready. I'm ready. Because like I said, he didn't say, well, I'll be back, right? Hold on. Let the demon possess your son for 40 days because I got to go out into the wilderness and fast. No, he had already done it. He'd been doing it. He's living that life so that when he comes to the scenario that the king needs him, that his dad needs him, boom, done. I'm ready. Because see, that little thing, that, that, that's one to two millimeters. That thing... Okay, this isn't going to sound like a big deal because three feet's nothing. Three feet's like one of these, the kids running around here. But when you started at one to two millimeters, that's some pretty serious exponential growth, right? To get to three feet. That's huge. And that's because the seed is persistent. It's always going to come back to that, right? That seed, if the farmer goes out and throws that little one to two millimeter guy throws it out into the dirt, and then the seed says to itself, well, I guess I didn't become a mustard plant. No. He's got to get in the dirt. He's got to break through the dirt. He's got to grow leaves. He's got to do all this stuff before he's actually a full mustard plant. 
Because it's persistent. Because that's the way God designed earth. Rivers don't stop flowing. The earth doesn't stop spinning. Because he's a God of persistence. He's a God of always. More than, more than. So everything has to keep moving. For us to get more, we got to get, we got to keep moving. Persistent prayer. Jesus was able to free the boy from the spirit because he had put in the time before the father. He'd spent the time on the hill of prayer and communicating with his father. He'd spent the time fasting and believing. He had put in the work. So when he got to the situation... He was ready. And I think this is where a lot of us, myself included, I think this is where we drop the ball, is our persistence. Well, I need healing. Well, we prayed for it. It's done. Didn't happen. Ask again. Ask again. We throw our little seeds out there, hits the ground, and then we're like, oh, no plant. Guess I'll come back later. Try again. You know? And then we think things like, you know, well, I've been praying for, well, how long, you know, like I hear Chris Ballatin says this thing where he's like, well, how long you have, you know, he talks to his students. And he says, well, how long have you been praying for that thing? Well, I've been praying for three days. We'll pray again. Well, but I've been praying for four days. Pray again. Like, like I'm saying, the things that we're seeing now, the the ideas of discipleship that are being talked about, the places that were, the, 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 the direction of new life, the healing signs, miracles, wonders, those things, we prayed for them. We prayed for them a decade ago. And they're starting to surface. I mean, they've surfaced here and there because we are a church who serves the living God. But now they're starting, the ball's starting to roll, I guess, the snowball effect, right? Because of those persistent prayers. And that's because we're also starting to live in a place where we're thinking about this. Pray again. Just keep praying. Just keep asking. You know, the Lord works all things together for good. Right? In the end. Works all things together for good in the end. So that means, I've heard it said... If it's not good, then it's not over, right? So there's things that we need. There's things that we're pursuing. There's things that we believe in for our church, for our families, for our houses, for our community that only will come through persistent prayer, through prayer and fasting. This isn't the only example. Do you, do you want to know why Jesus healed everybody when he walked into the room? Why everybody that came to him was, that was sick got healed? It's because he was living a lifestyle of prayer and fasting before the Father. That's what we're trying to do. That's our goal. That's, that's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you because I'm going to be stepping back into my role. And I believe each one of you have a role also. And if you let it go, I had to ask for forgiveness from the Lord. I had to because I knew it wasn't right why I stopped doing it. Not that I was just like, you know, shaking my fists or anything, but I mean, I just let, I let the ball drop. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with that. It happens, whatever. We can get better, right? So, but if it's not good, it's not over. If it's not good, it's not over. That means if, if you got a sickness, if you got something that's wrong with your body or you got something that's, 
it just in your life that doesn't seem like it's not right, that means that there's all, all things work together for good. That means if it's not good, it's not over yet. That means you can still persist, that you can still pursue that thing because it's going to get resolved one way or the other. It just will. So just a couple things. I wanted to talk about a couple things that block us from breakthrough and a couple things that bless us in breakthrough. So a couple of the blockades. I think one of the big ones is that we relent, right? That was like I was taught. We just, we just give up. Like we throw the seed out. It doesn't pop up a plant immediately. And we're like, well, say la vie. That is, that's it. It is what it is, right? But how, okay, so how many of you ever been to a movie and you go sit down in the theater and you're pretty excited because you heard some good things about the movie? And you're like 15 minutes into the movie, and you're like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I want to leave. I'm going to walk out right now. 25 minutes go by. I'm walking out. This is useless. This movie's stupid. Nope, I'm walking out. I'm walking out. 45 minutes. And then an hour and a half goes by, and you watch the whole dumb movie, even though you were sitting there telling yourself the whole time. This is called... In the business world, in the, it's called the sunk cost fallacy, okay? It's because I gave my money to be here. I gave my time to be here. I told my wife it was going to be great. We came and we sat down at this movie. I refused to leave. I refused to leave because I gave good money even though it's the stupidest thing that I've ever seen and my mind hurts right now because I'm sitting here watching this useless movie, I'm not going to give it up because I gave my money for it. How come we don't do that with prayer? How come I don't go, I put so much time into this. I put so much time into this and I know the answer is right there. Because that's the other thing you do when you're watching that movie. It's going to get better. I know it's going to get better. You, you start to convince yourself, right? You start to tell yourself, no, 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 it's going gonna, it's gonna to get good. I know it's going to get good. These jokes are useless, but it's going to get good. I know it. There's going to be one good one in here. But we don't do that when it comes to prayer. Maybe some of us do. We relent. We give up the other way and we walk out. We walk, out, we walk out of the theater of prayer and we walk out on God when he has just on the other side of what we were doing. Because maybe the movie did end good. When it comes to God, the movie does end good, right? So the sunk cost fallacy. Another one that I was thinking about is that we get complacent. That's kind of why I put that with the mustard seed. Now, oh, there's the mustard seed thing again. Because... There's a thing that happens psychologically that if I've heard something before, I can completely shut it out. If I've read something before, you can completely shut it out. As, as if one of the things I learned when I read books is that I have to read said book as though it was the first time I've ever read it. And if I've read it a hundred times, I still have to read it that same way. Even if it's a book about something that I already know about, like I read a book about Kobe Bryant. I know all about his career. I watched him, watched his whole career, watched everything that he did. I've heard stories about him. I've watched documentaries. So when I open the book, 
I have this thing, this thing that's this weird thing in our minds that happens that we shut everything off. So you have to engage your mind to tell it, hey, don't shut off. Because you can get complacent. It's the same thing like with where I work. I work at the airport. One of the biggest things that we talk about constantly at our annual meetings is complacency. And it's something that I try to tell my guys every once in a while. I say, hey, man, check yourself. Because we do the same thing over and over and over and over again. I hook up an airplane, I winch it up, and I drive into the hangar. I do it over and over. I just did it like 45 times last night. So what can happen is you can kneel down. The one time that I had an accident in my 15 years that I worked there, I knelt down, I swung the rope around the, the, the nose gear, and I clipped my little, my little winch clip over, and I went to winch it up, and somebody said, hey, man. I looked over. Oh, cool. Hey, man, nice to see you. Just somebody I knew. Talked to him for a second, and then I stood up, and I walked away. But I never winched the airplane onto my tow bar. Because my brain told me that I did it already. Because I was already here in this position. So my complacency, the fact that I didn't second check, double check, triple check, the fact that I didn't do that caused my mind to say it was already done. So then I go drive away, and the airplane's not coming the way it's supposed to, and then it runs into me. Well, I ran into my tow bar, right? So then it, you know, then you break an airplane. Just because something happened because you thought it happened. So I was calling, I just, I, was, I try to get creative, right? So I called this one the now I lay me down syndrome. Because <laughs> like, think, think about this. What, if I say now I lay me down, do you guys know how to finish that? <laughs> now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And the old, the old school version is, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take, right? That's like the 1800s version of it. But everybody knows that. It's a good prayer, though. But when I say it, I just say it like, well, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to take, I try to get it done, right? I, I don't pray this every night over myself. But, you know, it's a kid's thing, right? But then there's the other... There's the other versions where they say, like, thy angels. So, like, there might be various different versions of it in the room, really. There's one that says, thy angels watch me through the night and keep me safe till morning's light. But if I say those same prayers over and over again, I can lose their effect. Because my mind is just saying it. There's nothing wrong with rote. And there's nothing wrong with repeating. There's nothing wrong with that because I actually encourage that. But you got to say it every time like it's the first time. you got to say it with persistence. You got to say it with fight. You got to say it like you actually believe it. You know, say it with your chest, that whole thing. There might be other versions, like if you're in school right now, that might say, For if I die before I wake, that's one less test I have to take. <laughs> Anyways, you guys get the idea, though. Complacency just kills us. I've prayed something so many times that it's just a phrase now rather than a belief which brings me to the third thing which i'm i'm saying is unbelief which is a big one that's the biggest struggle right not believing it's, we come here because we believe it's such a strange thing we come to this building we come to the fellowship of our 
of our church or other churches or other places where we just gather because we believe in who God is. But then when it comes to certain things, we fall into unbelief and we lose our faith. This one's, this one's the fairy tale drama, the dilemma, sorry, the failed fairy tale dilemma. This is, this is where you go, oh, alas, there is nothing good in the world. You know, my Prince Charming hasn't come to rescue me. I don't live in a mansion. I don't drive a fast car. Alas, God must not be true. You're sitting up in our tower with our hair hanging out the, the window waiting for somebody to come get us, believing that it's all, you know, so it's the whole fairy tale thing. And I thought this was really cool. So C.S. Lewis, he experienced, you know, C.S. Lewis, everybody knows who that is, right? Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, that whole thing. Great, great author, obviously, one of the greatest of all time. He, he struggled with living in his, in his fantasy worlds, in his, the worlds that he created, because he felt like these are better than what the world that I live in. So his reason would overcome him and say, well, then obviously, if my world's not as happy as the fairy world that I can create, a fairy tale world in my head that I can create, then God must not be real. Because if it's supposed to be good for me, why can I come up with something that's better? So he struggled with that until him and his homie J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, they're sitting there enjoying some probably a cup of tea because they're British and all that, right? So uh, they're sitting there, and Tolkien actually helped Lewis. I'm just going to read this. This is from a book, so I'm just going to read it to you. Oh, man, I hit my button. I hit my button. Where'd it go? Oh, I'm over here. I'm giving stuff away. Okay, sorry. Uh, So it says, Tolkien showed Lewis how the two sides, imagination and reason, could be reconciled in the gospel narratives. The Gospels had all the qualities of great human storytelling, but they portrayed a true event. God, the storyteller, entered his own story in the flesh and brought a joyous conclusion, resurrection, from a tragic situation. Suddenly, Lewis could see that the nourishment he had always received from great myths and fantasy stories was a taste of the greatest, truest story of the life death, and resurrection of Christ. From that point forward, Lewis's perspective on the happily ever after story was transformed. Instead of being a mythical, untrue escape from reality, all the best stories became invitations into reality. Ha, that's cool. Imagination and intellect were now reconciled as two sides of the same coin. The Jesus story for Lewis, as with Tolkien, had become the story beneath all good stories, an alluring invitation even for sophisticated and scholarly grown-ups to look at everything with the imagination of a child. For a time, Lewis had found Christianity to be implausible and on that basis resistible due to intellectual and emotional hurdles he could not get past. But then an experience of community, us hanging out, with his close friend Tolkien, led Lewis to begin to doubt his doubts about God, truth, and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it talked about, in that same book, it talked about another guy, Francis Schaeffer. I just thought this was cool. 
He says, after several months enduring a similar crisis of faith, pastor and philosopher Francis Schaeffer told his wife Edith that he had come to believe that there was one reason and only one reason to be a Christian. And that's because it's true. That's the simplicity of the gospel right there, right? The simplicity of the gospel. So we got to stop relenting. We got to stop being complacent about our prayers. And we got to stop living in a false world that God doesn't do what he says he does. That ain't real. We got to believe that he is Aslan roaring behind us, which turns us to the blessings of breakthrough. I've always had this concept of upward, inward, outward, right? When I come to church, my concept, my, 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 my way that I connect is that I go upward to the Father, and then he and I go inward, take care of me, and then I go outward, and I take care of you. That's my concept every time I set foot here. I'm going to go upward, then I'm going to go inward, and then I'm going to go out. Up, in, and out. You can take that if you want. It's smart. And it's good. But so these concepts of blessings of breakthrough, they come from that mentality. So everything I think about comes from that mentality. And I think about it as a church, too. So if I think about it individually, I also think about it as a new life, as a community, right? Like we come here to go up and then we build each other up inward and then we go outward into the community and transform the community. So the blessings of being in persistent in prayer, I'm going to knock them out. There's five of them, and i got five minutes until i got three minutes. It doesn't, there's no time limit. I can do what I want. No. Um, so the first, uh, the first blessing, I think, is breakthrough in theology. So the nature of who God is, the concept, the idea that we get of who God is, that changes when I become persistent in prayer. Because, you know, like Pastor Terry always talks about, if I think God's angry, then I'm going to see him as angry. If I see him as this aloof, off-in-the-distance God, then that's who he's going to be for, for me because that's just what I'm going to see. But if I'm persistent in my, ch my chase after him and he's persistent in his chase after me, which we know he is, but if I'm persistent in that, then it can change the way that I see God. It can change my upward. It can change everything for me when I start pursuing him because then I start to actually interact with him. I start to interact with who he is in my daily life. I start to interact with the things that he's asking me to do, the things, you know, like David talking about, do I go? Yeah, go. It comes the same thing to where we have a relationship with him in that way that I can say, I, I, you know, and, and then you think about David too with the whole concept of, you, you know, like he's out in, the, out in the woods handling the sheep, killing bears and lions, so that when he got to the point that killing bears and lions was a persistent relationship with God the Father when he was out there worshiping and doing all that stuff, and that he knew that he had prayed and fasted, so to speak, when he came to the Philistine giant. Same concept. He had prayed and fasted to where he got there, and he's going, who is this guy? All of his brothers and everybody else in the army shaking in their boots, but he gets there because he prayed and fasted and he was persistent in his relationship with God. He knew who God was and he knew that there was nothing that that guy could do to him. Persistence. That's what it's all about. The more I know God, the better I can, I can understand him, the better I can understand who I am, which comes to the next thing is you break through in your relationship with Jesus. See, ask and the door will be opened, right? Right? 
That's what Jesus says to us. Ask and the door will be open. So it's the simple things. It's the simplicity. David, do I go? Yep. Win. Do I go? Yep. Win. Do I go? Yep. But don't go the same way as last time. Do it this way this time. Because a lot of times we're repetitious too. Last time I talked to somebody at work this way. They, they met Jesus when I talked to them this way. So now I'm going to do the same thing over and over again and never ask God again if I should do it a different way. Because each person's different. Every battle's different, right? Another thing. Oh yeah, the more I know, the deeper I go. Another way that we can get into it is... Uh, uh, so that one was kind of upward and inward, right? So that was Jesus. It's our relationship with him in, and it's our relationship with him up. The next thing is would be a breakthrough in relationship with yourself. Because the more that I pray, the more that I interact with God, I guarantee you he's going to communicate to you things about yourself. Kind of like I'm doing right now, the way that I'm talking to you guys, the way Pastor Terry talks to us all the time, the way Pastor Suzette tells us who we are. It's the same thing. Like if you come around me long enough, I'm going to tell you. The people that are close to me know when you come around me long enough, I'm going to tell you who you are. I'm going to tell you you're beautiful. I'm going to tell you that you're intelligent. I'm going to tell you that I love everything about you. That When we hung out last night, this, that was the best time I ever had in my life. I can't wait to be with you again because that's what I do. And if, I, if, if I'm just me talking to my buddies, talking to my friends, and that's just me, how much greater is it if I start talking to God? And he's going to tell me who I am. So my relationship with myself is going to grow because I'm not going to think of myself as a criminal. I'm not going to think of myself as a sinner. I'm going to think of myself as what he says I am, seated in heavenly places, perfect in every way. I can't wait to be with you again. So my relationship with myself, praying back the word of God over ourselves, doing those things, that builds us up. That's the breakthrough of persistent prayer. Another one is breakthrough in relationship with others, right? So now we've gone, we've gone inward. Now it's time to go outward now. My relationship with, with Preston and Alex and Nolan, all you guys in this room, my relationship with you grows by being with you. If I say, you know, Preston, man, you're my best friend in the whole world, and then I never talk to Preston again, 20 years from now, I'm going to be like, who's this guy with this giant white beard Right, you know, because it's like I can't have relationship with somebody that I say, you know, God, I love you, and then come back a week later, hey, God, I love you. Come back a week later, hey, God, I love you. Persistence, right? We getting it? I hope it's easy, and and this is supposed to be encouraging. I hope I'm encouraging. Is it, do you guys feel good about what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, good. I always worry about that. I come off aggressive, but I mean good. I mean nice things. So then, like the relationship with others, if I see you as you truly are, listen to this from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I thought this was really cool because it talks about others, right? You know, a lot of times in the church, you hear a lot of times all, all, all around the earth, the church, you hear about gossip, you hear about all this stuff, people backstabbing, all that stuff happens in the church, right? It's a thing that goes on, and it's because we aren't being persistent. I don't think it happens here. I hope it doesn't happen here. I'll fight you. No, um, but this is so cool. So if, I, if I'm being persistent in prayer and I'm seeking breakthrough for you, listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, or Bonhoeffer, however you want. 
He says, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no, how, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face, that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed into an intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. How cool is that? See, if I'm praying for you, if I'm praying for you that you would know who you are, that you would know that Jesus did this for you, that if I'm praying for you that you'd be a kingdom maker, that you're a king and a priest, that you're um, beautiful in the sight of the Lord, if I'm praying all those things and I'm saying them over you, I can't look at you the same way as I would if I'm sitting there at home going, oh man, I can't believe that guy. Do you see? The perspective changes because I'm being persistent in prayer. You may not be right, but it doesn't change who you are. You get it? The goal is we're always trying to go glory to glory to glory to glory. We're getting better. This is the whole goal is calling Christ king at the end of the day. There's things that happen, right? So it may not be that you're perfect, but if I'm praying who you are, if I'm praying that you're intelligent, that you're lovely, that you're beautiful, that that you're um, worthy of it all, that, that, you know, that this guy, this, this person is so worthy of your presence, Lord. They're so worthy of their relationship with you. I'm so grateful for, for this person that I just pray, Lord, that you would just, uh, you know, open the eyes of their hearts, bring them revelation in the spirit and the knowledge of who you are, Lord. If I'm praying those things and I can't look at you and go, you know, oh, I don't like that guy. I mean, I could, but if I'm praying for you and I'm being persistent about it, it's not going to be easy. And the next thing would be breakthrough in community. For God has made us for community, not for isolation. He made us for interdependence, not for autonomy. He made us for relational warmth and receptivity, not for relational coldness and distance. And community really is ultimately the, the promise of persistent prayer. Community with the Father, community with the Son, community with the Holy Spirit, my community with you, your community with me, and then our community as a collective out into our community around us, this great grand city. This, the way we change the surface, the way we change everything around us is through persistent prayer, through persistent relationship with the Father. And when I say prayer, it's like me and you talking. You know what I'm saying? Everybody thinks the prayer thing, I've got to get down on my knees on the side of the bed and all that. No. I'm talking about constantly talking, conversation. Do I go? Yep. Simple conversation, right? That's not, Dave, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know, maybe he did, but I don't think David crossed his hands and got down on his knees with his elbows on his bed and said, do I go? You know what I'm saying? I don't think he did that. Maybe. So this is our call as new life. I always end with this type of communication to you. But this is our call as new life in the middle of our grand city. We're to be warm, interdependent, and healthy. So that means we need to pray ourselves into a deeper understanding of who God is. We need to pray ourselves into a healthy relationship with God. We need to pray ourselves into a better understanding of who we are in that relationship with Christ. And we need to pray ourselves into loving each other better and deeper so that we can all turn that love on to our grand city.
Amen? So, Father, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you for the people in this room. Lord, I thank you for the people that call New Life home that didn't make it this morning. Father, I pray that your blessing would just rain down on us all right now in this room, everywhere across our city, across states, because our pastors are in Alabama. Lord, we pray your blessing upon them right now as they're seeing family. Lord, I pray just build us up. Thank you for the wisdom over this house. Thank you that you've called this place a house of teaching. Thank you that you've called it a place, a house of healing. Thank you that you've called it a house of worship. Father, I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you that you've called each one of us to do something great in your kingdom, whether it be something small great or something big great is beside the point. We're all called to do something great because you are the great I am. And when we step out and walk in your name, everything changes. Atmospheres change. The room shifts and tilts when we walk into the room in the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray that we would be persistent in our relationship with you. Father, that we would be persistent in praying for, for our relationship with you, our relationship with Christ. Lord, that we would learn ourselves, that we would know that who we are in you. And, Lord, that we would just bless each other in this building you know, during the week that we would continue to bless each other and just build each other up through text messages, Facebook, whatever way it might be, Lord, that we would just continue to build each other up. Lord, that, that when we walk out the doors, our grand city becomes even grander because my presence and the presence of the people in this room step foot on the, on the scene. So, Lord, thank you that we're great because you are great. Thank you that in our weakness we become strong. Thank you that we don't have to do anything special. Thank you that we don't have to do, say it right, talk it right, walk it right, do it right. All we got to do is follow you and do what you say, and that's right. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you that it's been here. Thank you that it's coming, and thank you that there's more of it. Amen.